magical hour. Oh, Matthew and Schaefer. Shafee. Shafee, are you there? has dropped below the western horizon here in the central hill country better known as austin texas specifically the east side even more specifically behind the microphone in the back room of my ivy covered castle <laughs> here i am speaking to you during what they call one magical hour a matthew and schaefer podcast spectacular and it'll be a spectacular indeed i assure you we've got some very exciting stuff coming up for you via via portland oregon and our friend matthias felina but first we're going to have a little pre-chit chat with this guy you know him you love him and his name's matthew rampy Oh, thunder only happens when you're casting. Listeners only download when you're blasting. That's, of course, Fleetwood Mac's dreams. <laughs> when we're blasting? A song where the, where the word dreams is only mentioned like one time. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I'm struggling to rhyme things. <laughs> I, from my song spoof open lineage. Someday I'll change that, but maybe not anytime soon. Welcome to episode 48. 48. It's Matthias, tonight we have, a, we have an exciting series of episodes coming up as we approach the big episode number 50. Uh, on, uh, for episode 49, we will have superfans... And living together partners, Kat and Jeff from Kilgore, Texas. Uh, they will be uh, phoning in for a special, special quiz episode. And for episode 50, which will most likely be recorded Tuesday night, we will most likely have our good friend Milton, whose song, Her Place Uptown, You Know and Love, when, uh, when Andrew Porter and Alex Battles ask us to buzz number two. Buzz number two. It, it, it's so confusing. But now, <laughs> you know, in the song, I thought he was saying bus number two. I thought he was I thought he was taking bus number two uptown. And then Alex was not referring to the song by its name at all the other night. And I got very confused about that. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad we're able to untangle those Celtic knots of communication here. Alex, 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 Alex,
I, I was very confused what was going on. Um, but we uh, we got it all worked out. And I would like to note that I have not confirmed with Milton in any way. Oh, wow. Milton may hear this and be like, I'm busy on Tuesday. Wait a second. So don't also don't get your hopes up, One Magical Nation. Um, I wasn't sure if the fad episode was good until I listened back to it. And then I really enjoyed it. I, <laughs> I was cracking us up. I, I cursed so very little and I really took it to the limit a couple of times. I, <laughs> I pegged the needle on the sensors <laughs> cursometer. Um, I want to revisit a couple things that we talked about. Uh, please let it be nothing that I did in my teenage years. No, those were all a lot of fun too. <laughs> okay, good. Tales of youthful poor choices by one tattooed <laughs> nipple Schaefer Hall. Uh, what two figures are most influential in your life, and what kind of film would you cast them in? The everything we talked about Val Kilmer, and I went and I, I, I watched. I, well, I, I watched. I read the article. It was fascinating. It was from May this year. So once again, here on the news cruise, we are right on the bleeding edge of history <laughs> with some articles from earlier this year. But uh, I'm glad that you brought my attention to that. There are some amazing uh, details in that. But this Mark Twain, what's the name of the uh, Miss Eddie? Yeah, Miss Eddie. Uh, the the progenitor of the Christian science, religion, denomination, faith. Anyway, um, I don't know anything about her uh, also. I know a little bit about Christian science. Of course, the thing that springs to mind immediately is faith healing and rejection of medical treatments. But I'm glad Val Kilmer's kids convinced him to get a little bit of of human conventional medical intervention because his hell mel his strip center uh center of culture there on melrose sounds fascinating like we gotta go there yeah and um so many things about his uh, what he's trying to do with his life really appeal to me his de devotion to his faith, his weird stage show that he was taking across the nation of the Mark Twain and what, what is her name? Mary Baker Eddy. Mary Baker Eddy. Thank you. I get her confused with the, um, at my wedding, there was this lady that was attached with the church. <laughs> um, Betty Brown Edgar. <laughs> I get her confused with they, with Betty Baker Eddie. <laughs> Is that right? Are you looking at that up for me? Anyway, so many things about that article and Val Kilmer's life were blowing my whole mind. Thank you for that. Uh, another thing that was discussed is Saved by the Bell and were we contemporaries? And your suggestion was that we were too old to be watching Saved by the Bell. We were like their exact same age. The, the show ended in 93. It went from 89 to 93. We were maybe in ninth grade when it aired. But didn't then, you feel like it was aimed at young? I don't know. I feel like us being the same maybe, age. 
I think that maybe I only caught it on Saturday mornings there at the first. Yeah. Yeah, I did see it later. I don't know. I, I feel like I saw the whole show. Um, there was I mean, a- it's, for some reason everybody watched it, and not just our age group. You know, I think that that's kind of the wild thing about it is like it was. Yeah, it was something more than just a show. It caught everybody's attention, and it was on Saturday at noon or whatever, Saturday at 11 a.m. It was the last thing after the cartoons ended. Yeah. With the cartoons ending, and then there was this uh, pre-teen, tween sitcom. It was There was a precursor show that aired from 88 to 89 called Good Morning, Miss Bliss, and the teacher was Haley Mills. Well, Haley Mills was in was in Saved by the Bell too. She was. Yeah, that was she was playing also. Yeah, Miss Miss Bliss, and she was their teacher, the blonde. Okay, gosh, I did not know that. Are we recording? Is are we doing the podcast right now? (laughs) (laughs) Um, wow. So I'm I'm learning things. So who are your heroes in your movie? I, I'm not there yet. I wanted to bring it up again for us to think about, but I don't have an answer for that at all. I, I can think of so many influences, but not two in my life that loom as large as obviously Mark Twain and Betty Brown Edgar <laughs> do for uh for for senior Val Kilmer. Yeah. Do you are you able to answer that question? Have you been thinking about that? It would be something like it would be something like Frank O'Hara the poet and Dr. Martin Luther King or something. I I don't know. I don't have I don't have somebody who, you know, started a contemporary religion that I'm involved in, unfortunately. So the closest thing to that would be a poet, you know, for me, like the poetry is the poets are the group of weird people that I'm most involved, you know, that I'm, that I identify with. Um, well, so that spurs me to what, what springs to mind initially for me is three people. Uh, it's Ad Rock, MCA, and Mike D. <laughs> the Beastie Boys. But, but that's – I was trying to be more high-minded with my answer, like, like you and Val. Well, I feel like it had to be somebody passed away for some reason. At least some historical sort of figure, right? And then you also has to be kind of, you know, two people who are, you know, well, I mean, not, I mean, Mark Twain and Mary Baker Eddy are specifically opposed. Like, Mark Twain was very, apparently very, uh, spoke out against Christian science specifically. Um, so I don't, I don't have any, anything that fits so neatly as, as, as Val Kilmer does, you know, in his attempt to like reconcile these two wholly, you know, seemingly irreconcilable things. They're like his two mentors, historical cultural mentors, and 
and they were at odds. That must be difficult. I see why. Yeah. I see why he's trying to use art to work through that. That's what art's good for, I tell you. Hey, hey. <laughs> How's it going? Matthias, you just saved this podcast, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, man. I was confused about I don't know. You you did you did perfect, I gotta tell you. But in in that in that six minute interim, Matthew and I unfortunately went on a on a very boring <laughs> internet dive trying to figure out what Haley Mills' connection was with Saved by the Bell. <laughs> we, went to a dark, we went to a dark, dark place. Our listeners hey, uh, must be so happy to hear your voice. Gotta go, guys. Gotta go. <laughs> oh, no. So nice to meet you. Thank you for your time. Matthew Matthias. Matthias Matthew. Hi. Hello. I was just talking about how strange it is to meet people on your podcast. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah strange and fun and uh you are in your living room in portland or in your dining room maybe i'm in my friend's basement where i'm living until the end of the year um some friends who run a little diy art gallery that is not open right now for obvious reasons oh yeah um, yeah but um yeah so i'm i'm running the dream delivery stuff out of here for for this iteration that's great. We were and I have a kettleball thing that is going to be. <laughs> my, Matthias like, will be working now. out while while podcast. I should honestly do more of that. <laughs> do more podcast working out. Uh, we yeah we do this show three times a week, so we uh, we probably should be doing other things while we're doing it. To be honest. Yeah, just do a bunch of crunches while you're while you're interviewing people. <laughs> Matthew's wife and kids might agree. Sure. <laughs> my, yeah. Sure. Matthew, are you in you in the uh, garage? I see a boiler behind you. I'm in the garage. Yeah. Uh, we talk about whether or not this is a real garage. Some believe it's a set. Some believe it's a green screen. Maybe the garage is in our minds. Like, that's really the magic of radio, isn't it? <laughs> uh, how do you guys know each other? Uh, I think I feel like I met you the first time at the Four Face Liar, Schaefer. Maybe some other some kind of poetry bullshit or the liar. Yeah, I, the first time I'm I remember uh, really bonding with you was with a large bottle of whiskey outside of uh, the chapel in Greenwood Cemetery. Oh yeah! During the Battle Hill, uh, the Battle Hill Poetry Marathon. Um, I remember that was, parts of that. <laughs> that was really, really fun. Yeah. Uh, Matt, uh, Matthias, we were talking a little bit about, uh, how, you know, uh, how much you've already done quite a bit of press surrounding the dream delivery service. And at some point I want you to describe it to our listeners. You know, uh, uh, I've described it to them already in a previous episode, but I w well, I'm sure wait, that but wait, um, I was here. I co-host the show, and you described it, but I couldn't wrap my head around it until I did a deeper dive and started reading about <laughs> Matthias and stuff. So, so let's pretend like the hunter gatherers know nothing, which we know is <laughs> not true. 
but we'll just start from the beginning. I'm sorry, Schaefer. I'm sorry to interrupt. Our listeners are an erudite bunch, to be sure. <laughs> uh, but I was thinking, because sometimes, Matt, Matthias, we, we talk about uh, how sometimes this show ends up being about the show. So when I was thinking about you already doing, you know, quite a few interviews on this matter and talking to a lot of people in various media about poetry, I was thinking that, you know, this to some extent could be an interview about interviews. And uh, specifically, I was thinking about asking you if there were any things that interviewers asked you specifically about poetry that might have uh, gotten under your craw a little bit or, you know, made, made you, had you sitting there wondering why did, why, why are you asking me this? Uh, and I, I think, mean, I have a pretty low set craw, so I don't, <laughs> I, uh, does that mean it's easier to get into there or harder? I think it's harder. I, harder. I, I, I think yeah. that's what you look I, for in a, in a prawn is a low set craw. Yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> so you're I, uh, usually I, pretty patient with people which you have to be i i also i i'm so anxious uh, about especially if there's anything like a camera or a video like all i'm all i'm thinking about is god i'm gonna look so fat in this like photo i'm gonna look so fat in this video so i basically black out the whole interaction and then i never reread them or watch them again so to me it's just like it's actually like why I was excited to talk to you guys because I was like, oh, it's going to be like talking to Schaefer. It's going to be great. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, uh, is out talking. it is worth noting that you are looking quite trim these days, I must say. Well, you know, uh, yeah. it's, it's mostly from the loss of hair. So. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's I, I, mostly when I do press about the dream delivery service, which to fill anybody in who might want to know what it is. Yeah, give the them a primer, a primer. It's a, a service in, that delivers dreams. Um, mostly when I do press about that, it's like really directed at a non-niche poetry audience. Um, so it's for maybe an Arts Weekly or like, like a whatever, a quirky story in the local newspaper or something like that. So they don't give a fuck about poetry, which is great because it's not, to me, it's not even really a poetry thing per se. Like, so the dream delivery service, I, I take subscribers and every day for a month, I write a little dream narrative for them. Something between like a hundred and 400 words. And I deliver it every day for the month to people in the town that I'm in when it's not during a global pandemic. I bike around and deliver it to people's doors before dawn to people outside the town and mail it every day. And one thing I think about is like, if I'd done like a poetry delivery service, I don't think anybody would give it a fuck. Like I would have done it once and like some poetry friends would have subscribed and then it'd be done. And instead this, thing that was like a weird bad joke that I did to try to pay my rent for a month has become my life and now, I think it's because it's not poetry like it's sort of it's poetry adjacent maybe or poetry uh I don't know it to, overlaps poetry to be clear the dream is on paper 
Dreams on paper. Is it in an envelope? It's in a little what pink are, envelope. I, I've 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 seen a picture of one. Yeah. Why don't you read us read us one, Matthew? Yeah, I've got, I, I've oh well, I've got one. Bad. I, I, I'm going to do that a hundred times this this episode, just so you know. That's great. <laughs> I, I've got one to read. Why don't okay. we switch? With, for the purpose of this episode, why don't we? Why doesn't Matthew go by Mattathias, like in Maccabees? <laughs> I like and it. Then, and I can go by Mattis Yahoo. <laughs> I want to go by Matvi, which is like the Russian pronunciation of Matthew. Yeah, like, I'll be Matvi, and you be, be Mattis Yahoo. We have another poetry friend named Matvey, so uh, that could confuse th- confuse things even even further that's, for me. That's great. You can really screw with my head. Excellent. <laughs> okay, Matthew, do you have one pulled up? Because I'd love to hear you. I, I have one pulled up. I asked oh, cool. Matthew. And I think this is, this is from an article great. that I found from the Poetry Society of America. But this is from uh, June 2nd of 2016. This is to Sarah Renee Marshall. Do you personalize these? They are all... I wish I had some printed out. Um, this one seems to have used the person's name in the dream. Some of them are personalized. Some of them, most of them are not. Uh, okay. okay. So like when you, write, when you write the dream for the day, the subscribers all get that same dream. Typically, I'll write like 20 to 40 or so a day. And uh, <laughs> so people, people get a unique set and I try to make at least every like one or two days every month everybody gets a unique dream even if it's just like a sentence or two different just to make sure that like uh, that I don't know I don't know why I think I'm really just married to the idea of it being multiplicitous and being these unique things well this is not only an act of uh, prose distribution this is like you write 20 to 40 today. This is like an ultra marathon. Not only do you, are you writing them, but you're delivering, like this is the most amazing thing to me. <laughs> I, I love this. That, and this is like, uh, it's not only, you, you were trivializing it by like, oh, this weird thing that I do that I'm paying my rent with. Yeah, but, but the thing itself seems- For the record, I have no rent. Oh, okay, right. But the thing <laughs> itself, but the thing itself seems to be such an epic creative endeavor. It's the most epic creative endeavor. I, I, I'm really, I, I'm, I'm just coming online of understanding this, and I'm super excited about it. So I want to let me read this one for the, for the listeners. You, you may remember this one, Matai, <laughs> or not. You might not. Here we go. June second, twenty sixteen. You are eating sushi with Sam Elliott. <laughs> I never took, I never took you for a sushi guy. You say, Sarah. Sam Elliott says. I'm every type of guy. You smirk at this cheesy line, but Elliot says no. Really? Look at this. He lifts his mustache up, and beneath it you see a zipper. Go ahead, he says. You unzip the zipper. His face falls open like a trapper keeper, and inside, held neatly in the binder, are files on tens of thousands of types of men. Elliot tries to say something. But with his face unzipped, he can't make any words. He motions impatiently at his face, and you zip him back up. (laughs) He moves his lips (sighs) and cheeks around a bit, pats at himself to make sure everything is in place. He says, see, Sarah? 
I've devoted my life to documenting every type of guy. You could say I'm a zoo of men. And, and then you wake up. <laughs> that is delightful. That's, uh, it's amazing. The, the two that I've read are amazing. So I, I'm sorry, Matthias, I, I cut you off. Um, let's no, get- I have no memory of that, but I, I draw, when I, Sam Elliott is sort of a, a Jungian archetype that appears frequently in the dreams. I saw uh, him in a drawing of yours on your Twitter feed too. Yeah, I tried to draw a thousand Sam Elliott drawings over the month of August. Uh, I got up to about 540, actually, but uh, of dreams, dreams of Sam Elliott. Uh, I really thought I could do a thousand. I was like, I don't know, a bit overzealous. Did you have requirements for you? Just the the drawing was finished whenever it was finished. Yeah, I mean, I. I think at a certain point along the month, I started thinking I was like starting to get good at drawing. <laughs> and then I, cause I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not a drafts drafts person. Oh, um, the, the one I saw was well rendered. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I just, I'm, I don't know. I write, I write these and they, and they send them out and there's, you know, there's at least four or five sentences in there mm-hmm. that are, scientifically bad writing that you just read uh and they they kind of go out with bad writing and with typos and stuff and like and so i never remember them um i don't know which to me is kind of part of the difference between them being poetry and not poetry like not necessarily like the text or the form or anything but just the way that i keep with it and work at it and attend to it that I wouldn't send a poem out into the world that I hadn't read a hundred times or something like that. But these I'll sometimes not even reread them for quick typos and just be like, all right, next. I don't know. They're sort of this, they're like this factory work or assemblage work. I don't know. Uh, this is the first time I've realized that how much you customize them. I really thought that, you know, that you would write a dream a day and that would kind of go out to everybody. That's, that's amazing to me that, uh, that they're that they're as as different as they are. I well, really I mean, that's, I'm actually this. That's what I'm doing for this coming iteration because I I just need time to actually work on writing because I'm always either writing dreams or traveling these days. Um, so I'm doing a hundred. Every subscriber will get a hundred dreams, but it's going to be the same hundred dreams everyone gets, and normally. So that means I only have to write like two or three a day. And normally I'll try to write eight or 10 hours a day and then wake up the next day and do it again and just try to exhaust myself of all ideas every day and then exhaust myself again the next day. You know, and also, also, you know, the ones that get sort of mentioned online or passed forward or cherry picked, you know, they're, I don't remember any, but I'm, I'm assuming they're like at least half of them are bad, you know. <laughs> no, that's like you know half of every like and that's kind of like part of the project too is like you know you you dream dumbass dreams and you dream boring dreams alongside fascinating you know uh exegetical dreams and stuff like that so i kind of am into when thinking like like a dream that's just sort of like oh you you were brushing your teeth done you know and then like 
maybe the next day is going to be like a, a weird surreal meow meow meow. I uh, I don't. <laughs> Schaefer does that meow 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 thing. There are so many parallels with the podcast here. Go on. <laughs> I uh, I you know, I remember I was reading once. I think it was the introduction to the collected poems of Franco Hera, who we were talking about earlier, really. Uh, but the publisher was talking about how he he'd included a bunch of poems at the end that may not have been. Uh, you know, in, in necessarily as, you know, as well edited uh, as they could have been. But he said he got the distinct impression from studying Frank O'Hara's work that Frank O'Hara fully intended to publish anything that he wrote. You know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I feel the same way. I'm just, you know, just when you're talking about some of the, some of the dreams being bad, I can't imagine that's true because I think once you, once you find a voice that really works for you, you can write, you can write a lot of poems that are all good on some level and you can do it quickly and you can do a lot of them. And of course, some of them might be better than others, particularly in, in when beholded by others eyes. Um, But I think, I think, once you've found a certain voice, you can, uh, as long as you're true to that voice, you can, you know, to some extent, you can do almost no wrong. Uh, and uh, a lot of people might disagree with me about that, but I, I think it's true. Does that include our Haley Mills discussion from earlier? <laughs> no, I definitely did wrong then. There's no okay, okay, good. Yeah, I'm going to cut that out. Uh, <laughs> oh, listen to it first. I, <laughs> well. Matthias, I, I super relate to what you're doing uh, in my own artistic life. I have, I draw, I paint, uh, I have a, uh, I studied art at UT. Um, I mentioned the podcast. I have always loved uh, a prolific output over any kind of like precious rendering and re-rendering of some kind of craft and and pouring over something i mean you said you do that with your poems but 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 in this exercise you this exercise this six-year endeavor of sheer genius and and will um uh there's no question here i'm just i think i'm just rambling (laughs) Um, i i I just i love it I, i i i'm gonna be a subscriber but you wouldn't I, I, mean, you know, I don't have thing. to be. I don't have to be in the area to be a su- subscriber, right? No, I'm doing everything by mail this time. Uh, when exactly does it get started? Uh, I'm doing it this time from the 15th of December through the 15th of January. Okay, so there's still 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 a few days to to get yeah. signed up. It seems like a great stocking stuffer for your loved one. <laughs> I like. How awesome is it to get? You know, to get that many little little pieces of mail, you know, through. Yeah, I feel like like so often, maybe less so during pandemic when people are sort of doing a lot of online ordering and stuff. But like so often, the mail is just like junk mail and bills. You know, so being able to like sneak a little, you know, weirdo dream in there every day for people feels nice. The the fact that it ends on January fifteenth could help you get over that 
depression and when all the presents are open and everything's <laughs> uh, you're just like trying to deal with recycling uh, uh, <laughs> a small town's worth of cardboard. And, <laughs> Those are tough times. So it seems like you do a lot of traveling. You're, 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 you're from Denver. Uh, I was living in Denver for, I guess I've lived in Denver than anywhere longer than anywhere else in my life, but I was living in Denver when I started the dream thing. Um, and doing the dream delivery stuff, I, I thought I was just going to do it once. Um, cause I, I didn't have any way to pay my rent for the summer and, uh, thought of this as sort of a joke and then did it. And then, uh, the Denver Museum of Contemporary Art, their director was one of the subscribers and they brought me in to do a little project. And in typical, like my fashion of not ever knowing how to plan anything, I didn't look at the route that I had to bike every day until the day before I was starting. And it was 45 miles a day and 45 miles was longer than the longest bike ride I'd ever ridden before. So I was like, oh, this is going to be, I don't know what this is going to be. But at the end of the month, I was like, oh, that was actually lovely. And if I'd biked in a straight line, I'd be in, you know, Chicago by now. Yeah. And I. Wait, you, so you did the 45 miles each day. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Whoa. And then I, I, I sort of, uh, I wanted to try out sort of long distance biking after that, since I realized like I actually could do it because as like, as a, you know, a fat kid and a fat adult, it just never occurred to me that that was like a possibility. And like, and so I biked on the West Coast. And when I finished that trip after two months, uh, I was just sort of like, well, that was that was maybe one of the first times in my life that I felt like happy for, for an extended period of time. And so the dream thing, doing the dream thing on the road and traveling with it has become sort of my scam. Like the dream thing is sort of the scam to keep me on the road biking, which, <laughs> uh, so that's like the real goal is just being able to like bike around the country and like just kind of, sleep in my tent and live off of my bike and as much as possible. Um, which this year with, with the, uh, the interruptions has been less possible, but, um, Schaefer's calling it the pandemic. Yeah. The demo. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't remember if I was trying to answer a question or if there was a question or I don't know. No, I, I think I, I, I'm just fascinated by the whole process. Just were, interested were, about the process, definitely. Were you a cyclist before? I was like a commuter biker, you know, just like kind of punk biker who didn't want to own a car and so just biked everywhere. I um, remember once I saw a post from you, I guess, you know, probably on Facebook or whatever, talking about uh, your commute. I guess maybe you were working at a university or something in Denver and you were talking about your daily commute and how this one Godspeed you Black Emperor song would crescendo right when you hit the top of this hill or something. Wow. And it sounded totally, totally awesome. I was like, wow, I'm glad that uh, Matthias is doing well. That's definitely what I, what I thought when I read that. It was pretty awesome. I have no memory of that, but that's cool. <laughs> oh. Schaefer, I feel like I totally derailed your initial line of questioning about 
interviews. Oh no, yeah, it's all right. No, no, we can we can get back to that. I, uh, I, hate, I hate it when I listen back to the podcast and I was like, oh, Schaefer was going somewhere and I totally derailed that. So I'm, I'm handing it back over to you. We, uh, I, 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 I don't think any none of the three people involved in this in this phone call are are particularly interested in staying on any sort of rail. Right. Yeah. Uh, but I would, yeah, I was specifically, I was telling Ma, uh, Matthew earlier, Matthias, that I, I was specifically thinking about a time, and I've seen this happen to other poets when they're interviewed, and it's happened to me. Uh, do you ever, you know, and I'm, it has to, absolutely has to have happened to you before too, and an entirely well-meaning interviewer will think that a good question to ask is, you know, man, so just, why poetry? (laughs) And you're like, like, you know, nobody asks the the oil painter that, nobody asks the actor that or the director of films, nobody asks the novelist that, uh, (laughs) the poets, we got to the, like, what, why, why would you do that? (laughs) Yeah, I I don't think that's invalid. I mean, (laughs) and my answer is always just to piss you off. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I, if, if, you know, the glib thing I could say in response to that, if anyone ever asked is, and maybe they have, is probably like, if I were good at anything else, you know, this is the only, this is like the only thing I'm like able to do with any sort of uh, facility. So like, if I could fucking make a table, I'd make, make a fucking tables. You know? um, but it, I don't know. I feel like, like partially I'm like the same way that I love teaching like intro poetry classes and like working with students who haven't like, who are still asking questions like, like what, what is a poem? Like, how do you know if a poem is like done or good? And I'm like, I don't know, man, that's, it's like crazy. You know? And like the same thing with like, someone's like, why poetry? I'm like, I don't know. It's crazy. Right. Like what, what, what fucking hubris, like what embarrassing fucking hubris to be like, you know what? It's twenty twenty, and I shall be a lyric poet. You know? <laughs> no, you know, and definitely everything that you're saying, like, yeah, we're getting at it, and this is exactly why, you know, and and you know that that confusion that that interviewer is expressing is definitely something that you know, whether it was conscious or subconsciously, definitely drew me to poetry at the beginning. The fact yeah, that it is yeah. esoteric and it is, you know weird to a lot of people you know they <laughs> that 100 percent appealed to me when i was you know 13 years old <laughs> yeah it was, it was it was hermetic it was like an outsider thing and yet it also had a kind of like you know cultural cachet as well so it wasn't like i was getting into like you know those people make like dioramas out of gi joe figures or something which is equally hermetic and niche but like had a sort of identity you know poetry has like more a more uh identity that i can sort of brag about somehow i don't know you know there are other you know much more tangible things like my mom read a.a milne to me when i was a child and robert louis stevenson to me when i was a child and that of course had a lot to do with it and you know definitely i had you know the good teacher here and there who would maybe introduce you to you know maybe one good poem in a semester or you know, 
uh, or even better, I had some teachers in, uh, in elementary school who encouraged us to write it ourselves, you know, and then it's like you say, you know, I realized that there was some kind of a knack there, but yeah, uh, you know, all of those jokes aside, you know, I remember being 23 years old or something and falsely, like, I don't know why 22 or 23 year olds, right? I understand why, but it's, I think it's too bad that you feel like at that point you have to decide that you're going to be something. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I, I felt like that at 15. I was like, all right. If, like if, if the decide. world's going to make me be something, I'm going to be a poet. <laughs> <laughs> Take that world. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, we all find, you know, our own ways of, you know, paying rent or, you know, paying for bicycle maintenance, whatever it is that we're paying for in this life. We find, we find most of us find other ways to do it that aren't poetry. And then, uh, and then you, yeah, so it's super cool that you found something kind of really kind of in between a lot of, a lot of different, uh, not just media, but uh, just a lot of different disciplines, physical, mental, you know, all that. That's, that's, that's super neat. Uh, you know, and it certainly beats, you know, adjuncting or. Um, Which was my only other skill. <laughs> I was. Hey, uh, nothing wrong with adjunct. Wallace Stevens. Was... Gonna disagree with you there. <laughs> now, there's nothing wrong with adjuncts. There's oh, that definitely... ad adjuncts are great. It's the way they're treated that's the humongous problem. Right. A million things wrong with the adjunct industry. Uh, so, any other? Also, like logistically, I, I couldn't do this if I, I I couldn't survive off of what I'm doing if I hadn't, you know, gotten rid of. Uh, housing, stable housing, gotten rid of, you know, like, I just, I, I gave up all the stuff that I had to pay for pretty much. Sure. And that was the only way, you know, cause I, I, for the most part, barely break even almost all the time. And, and I set it up to, to do that too. Like, I don't want to like make money off of it or anything. Um, I just want to like get through. So it's a, the, the astounding level of privilege that is behind me to have trusted that I just get rid of my fucking apartment and get rid of all my belongings and go out and do this dumb thing. And like, it'll just work. It's sort of always kind of part of my thinking about it is like, Oh wow. Like I was raised in a house without scarcity. I was raised in a house where like I never had to worry about stepping forward because I knew there would be, you know, a solid, solid ground there, you know, and, so that is all, I think, part of the background of it. You know, I don't know why I'm going to talk about that, though. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I don't think you can under, underestimate the fact that it is, it is, you do make some sacrifices and you do take some considerable risks to, you know, to do what you do. Um, in addition to, you know, it, it being an, a nice and, a nice and great life and you know certainly something that sounds i think really fun and romantic to all of us um <laughs> yeah well, you know great would, would you read us another dream i think it's inspirational what <laughs> personally I'm like a, like a living hallmark movie <laughs> i mean <laughs> that trivializes it but 
I mean it when I say I can trivialize it more. No, no, that's okay. We'll we'll do that in a follow-up episode. (laughs) I, yeah, I've always actually fantasized. I always feel like the interview I'd really love to be asked to do is where I point out everything that is like ridiculous and terrible and hypocritical about what I do, you know, and I could like really go into the minutia of that. And because I'm, that's, that's what, that's the data that is most accrued in my, in my mind. Okay, to just share examples. <laughs> so I'm always like, oh man, that would be really fun actually in a perverse way that no one would ever want to listen to. No. Um, all right, here's a dream. Uh, so I'm doing a thing on a dozennothing.com, um, which is a poetry site that usually does like a poet for a month and they'll post like maybe a poem or two every week. Um, but I worked with them to do a full month of dreams for December. So on the a dozennothing.com, they're posting a new dream every day. And here's one from the fifth. You're working in a factory on an assembly line making turtles. You are the person who places the top of the turtle shell onto each half-made turtle. The next person on the assembly line adds the back two legs, the next the front two legs, and the last person on the assembly line adds the head and the tail. The turtle then reaches the end of the assembly line where they are dropped onto a pile of old mattresses. When a turtle reaches the mattresses, they slowly begin to move their legs and head, figuring out how their bodies work. Then they walk off the mattresses and wander around the factory floor. As you stand in your position, adding the tops of the shells to the turtles, the floor fills up with turtles, all aimlessly milling around. Finally, when there are almost too many turtles, so that it is getting dangerous, a whistle rings out. A big door opens, and a woman in a turtle costume shouts to the turtles. All the turtles turn their heads toward the woman in the turtle suit and begin to slowly walk toward her, out into the daylight. My my homage to uh, Plato's Plato's cave and the shadows in the cave. Not really. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say that that dream seemed like a real dream to me, uh, which was you know then begs the question: How often do the dreams come from Matthias's dreams? <laughs> uh, very little. I yeah. mean, most most of my dreams are just really standard issue anxiety dreams, where like. You know, the whole, like, I'm teaching a class and I don't know the topic, you know, or uh, friends have set up an event for me, but I can't get across town because the subway is full of pudding or whatever, you know. Yeah, uh, the, the factory floor filling up with turtles had, you know, and it had an anxiety dream feel to me a little bit. Yeah, I feel like the stuff, the stuff that I'm actually able to pilfer from my own dreams is usually, like, an image, a setting. Like, normally what I'm most... Like creatively, what I'm most interested in when I'm in the month of writing dreams is just collecting stuff. Because I feel like the way I write the dreams is not trying to replicate the dream thing, which is like an infinite chaos. You know, you can always, in any direction you look inside of a dream, there's an infinity of potential detail. But that's, I don't have the skill set to do that. Um, But the way that we tell each other dreams usually is that we fall back into the most banal kind of storytelling mode, you know, and so instead of all the chaos of everything, you're like, I was in a house, it was my childhood house, but it was also a tree house. You know, the rock was there, but he had a snake tail coming out of his leg, and I plucked the snake tail, 
and a, a liquid came out of where I plucked the snake tail, and he told me, go ahead, drink it. And I drank it, and you know, and it goes on, yeah. You know. And it's just sort of that that way that that you know. So one of the oldest tricks in the book for writing prose is like when you want something to be wild, you know, speak it in the most simple way possible. You know, when you want something to be exciting, use short sentences. You know, when you you know, so that that oppositional thing. So I'm like, you know, and at this point, I think I've I don't know, I think I've maybe written like twenty eight thousand of these or something. So I must have a pretty well-established rhetorical form in my head that they fall into. And, and they're all, you know, they're all pretty fucking similar. Like they're not, I was my neck. Yeah. The 28,000 number is like, how often you're like, all right, I'm pretty sure I wrote this exact dream. (laughs) I, well, I have notes everywhere. I have like tons of notes in my phone and all these little notebooks with little like one sentence notes and and I'll pull up like a file and there'll be a bunch of dreams that I wrote at some point and and so I, I, I'm sure I've reused them and stuff like that uh, on accident. And then I'm also sure, you know, because there's only so much junk running around in our heads. So I'm... It would be funny to know if I've written the exact same dream independent of each other. And that would be like the, the Calvino book with the guy who writes the, uh, or the Borges, the guy who writes um, Don Quixote without ever having read Don Quixote. I didn't know about that. That's hilarious. I think it's a Borges story where somebody writes Don Quixote <laughs> word for word, the exact same book, and he's never heard of Don Quixote before, never read it. Uh, Does and it follow Calvino? It's, I think it's Borges, actually. Okay. Um, it's been a long, long time since I've read it. So I probably have all, I probably have every single detail wrong, but <laughs> in my memory of it, it's, uh, I think written in the form of like a book review or something, or they talk about the reviews of the book and they say how this Don Quixote is so dramatically different than the original Don Quixote, even though they're word for word the same. <laughs> yeah. And like, uh, yeah, basically anything, my whole life is just wishing I was, I was a Borges story. <laughs> Uh, I think writing 28,000 prose poem dreams does, uh, does have a Jorge <laughs> Jorge like quality to it. Definitely. Matthias, have you ever read uh, Paul Oster? Yeah, it's been a long time, but uh, uh, he was someone that I, I identified a lot with when I was younger and then sort of forgot about. Your project seems to me like a Paul Oster story. <laughs> I don't, is, that, is that an insult <laughs> no i don't think so i i hold him in high regard i i i mean in terms of novelists of our era i think he's fantastic and there's always these moments in paul oster stories where there's this like meta like separation between what's going on and this like overarching theme and all of a sudden there's this one story, The Music of Chance, where it's about this, this firefighter who loses his wife, and he goes into this state where he, he gets the money from, from her life insurance, and he buys a sob, and he drives back and forth across the country, and he's just in this state of grief, and he meets this lad who's like beat up on a road, and a back road in Vermont, and then, then he ends up getting drawn into this uh this human like 
he plays this card game with this rich guy and the rich guy has these miniatures of like the town that they're in. Like he goes into the rich guy's house and he finds these miniatures of it's the town that they're in. And then it's the rich guy's house. And then it's, it's like there's this miniature of the life that he's living inside this house. And I, I, I don't know. I, I feel that there are moments like, but, but, but I don't know something about your, like, I, I'm really drawn to the endurance effort that you're involved in. And, and it, I, it just recalled that to me. I don't, I certainly did not mean it as a, <laughs> it, I no, think, I like, I I like think any realism of scale too. Like I love like, like, like Pon Francis Ponge's poems or that, you know, the whole story of the poem is just, I looked at a bar of soap, you know, but then looking at something that acutely, and I love like any sort of micro macrocosmic surreal scale like that too. So, I don't well, know. So you're you're in it. We're we're all we're all in it. Yeah, Some are just more aware of it than others. Yeah, I mean, to to me, the the writing of the dreams is just so easy. Like it's not a big deal. Like it's just sort of it's what my mind does anyway. So I'm just like, instead of normal life where I have to like not do flights of fancy constantly because I have to like talk to fucking people on a podcast or you know uh, <laughs> wait 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 <laughs> I, this this is a flight of fancy i'm just kidding man uh yeah it's just i mean when i'm writing the dreams it's just sort of like oh i get to like actually do the thing that my mind wants me to do for like eight or ten hours a day so i'm perfectly you know in, in a life where i don't feel very content very often like it's like this whole project is devised like the two things that actually make me feel good are, are are the things that I'm like put first and then trying to figure out, like just let everything else fall into place as a, as a will, which, you know, is also totally utterly ridiculous for a 45 year old man to be doing that, you know, and just be like, you know what, I'm not going to give a shit about anything except for riding my bike, writing my poems, you know, like it's just sort of like an embarrassing level of, futility and like sort of hedonistic futility. I don't know. Or you have it all figured out. If, if I have it all figured out, then it fucking sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever it is, I do not recommend anybody. <laughs> do you write on, do you write on a computer? Like on a laptop? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm a computer guy. I'm like, yeah, I hate writing by hand. Anything that is not like a grocery list basically. I, yeah, I've never written anything worthwhile by hand. Oh, yeah. Okay. Right? Yeah, it's sort of like, oh, I'm just going to have to retype it. I'm going to have to, like, I don't know. And all the, I, like, yeah, I'm a digital native as far as computer writing and grew up with, like, composing school essays on computer and stuff like that. So that's how my mind functions for editing and functions for, like, being able to see the work that I'm doing. Uh, but I also have notebooks full of like, you know, I don't know, just like, just like a stream of like, you know, like a clock made out of monkeys' eyes, a, a, a donkey that wants to borrow eight dollars, you know, and like the sort of like a, that almost work as sort of uh, 
I don't know, like rolling the dice in a Dungeons and Dragons game when I'm writing the dreams. Cause I'll be like, okay, you're in, uh, you know, you're in a Dairy Queen. Uh, they don't serve ice cream at this Dairy Queen. They only serve fried chicken, but they serve it all in the ice cream containers still, you know? And then I'm like, all right, I'm done establishing the setting. So I need it to veer, but I need it to veer without like it being attentive to its own veer. So then I'm like, okay, then I'm, on the wall, there's a clock with monkey's eyes for numbers, you know, and like, uh, so it's this way of like, I'm able to write so many of them because so much of it is just sort of the assembly line of putting the turtles together. I don't know. Do you like it when people tell you their dreams? I love it. Um, I, I do, if people intimate that they're gonna tell me dreams, I, I do warn them that I might try to steal it. Because <laughs> I'm always happy to get a free dream from people. That's cool. I, I love hearing people's dreams too. And I don't know where this uh, kind of cliche got, got going. Yeah. Where it's, oh, it's so boring to have to listen to someone else's dream. I love hearing about them. I yeah. think the dream is usually only as interesting as the person. but <laughs> I don't know, man. I think they're all fucking great. I just, yeah, I mean, I remember Blake Butler had a tweet that I was like, oh yeah, right. Where he's like, he's like, if never be friends with anybody who says that they don't want to hear people's dreams. And I was just like, yeah. <laughs> like, like there's something about like, I mean, I'm not interested in interpreting them ever. I'm not interested in the, the psychologizing or the using, using of them. Yeah. So, I'm in, I'm interested in just like what's some fucking weird things that your brain did. You know, it's the same to me. It's the same, and not in the sense of like the French surrealists or anything, but like uh, it's the same thing that I'm interested in. Like just seeing people's art, where I'm like, I want to see like weird fucking things that your brain did. And yeah, like, exactly. I want to see, see humans doing human things, which you know, in a, a technological monoculture feels desperate at times Sub, a subconscious act of creativity and you know uh uh there are a lot of uh like uh physiobiologists and people who study the brain who say that oh well, we don't really understand why people dream we don't exactly understand why it happens and i i, I think maybe if you get down to the bottom of it it's the same answer as the people who asked you why poetry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is something that the brain just has to do. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, I love nonsense. I love, I love as much as I, I also love, you know, I love Aristotelian ethics, you know, but I love, uh, I love the thing happening that employs Oh no, I think about it this way. I was, uh, I remember I was on Summer Browning's porch and a bunch of us were sitting around and just like drinking and whatever. And somebody asked one of the like sort of almost roll your eyes questions of like, well, why do you guys think the purpose of art is? And I was like in full sort of academic mind mode and did this whole like sort of structure of like, oh, well, the meow and the meow and meow and the la 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 and the lacan and the blah, blah, blah. And like, and it was, totally fucking you know fatuous like just me wanting to hear my fucking voice and summer was like i don't know i think 
about all those weapons that humans make and how creative they are. And then when people make art, they use all that creativity and they don't kill people. And in, almost instantly, I was like, okay, that's actually my new. <laughs> and can we also interpolate that Summer really wants to kill people? Summer <laughs> 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 writes poems so she doesn't kill anyone. <laughs> I was actually going to ask you if you'd seen Summer lately. I lived in her garage for three months this summer. I, 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 was, I was living in a shack in Adam Clay's backyard in Hattiesburg. Oh, that's fun. And uh, during the first lockdown, I left Nashville the day Nashville. Nashville put in lockdown at midnight, and I biked out of Nashville at 6 a.m. and then biked down the Natchez Trace to Hattiesburg and uh, uh, did dreams by mail from this little shack. And all my summer plans got canceled. And then out of the blue, the Denver Museum of Contemporary Art, again, Lifesavers, like, called me up and asked me if I wanted to do a outdoor distanced project in Denver. So I did a dreaming Denver project where I chose 30 spots all around the city and wrote and recorded a dream to be listened to at that spot where you're looking around that landscape. And uh, yeah, and stayed in Summer's garage while I was doing that. And uh, very kind of her. Summer Browning is amazing poet and curator and hostess. Artist. Editor and artist and librarian and mom and one of the most important people in my life since Guitarist I was a teen. too, right? What's that? Artist too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's a comic artist mostly, or things that sort of extend out of comics. Yeah. And her, she runs the Georgia Gallery, which is an installation space in her garage. That's just beyond nonprofit is just no interest in profit and just hosts uh artists to do strange things i also would love an interview where the whole interview is just getting to talk about how rad people you love are (laughs) oh that's that's what we're doing on the podcast (laughs) yeah most of what we do here (laughs) uh we get we get you guys we get you guys on one at a time and talk about how much we love you. <laughs> but for me, the worst part of the interview is like, or doing an interview is uh, that I so often feel like I fall back into these like prepared stories of myself, you know, or like organized uh, ideas of things that when by the time I'm repeating them, I don't really believe anymore but they seem like like a safe thing to say so i'm like oh if you know and and i'm not knocking an arts weekly or something like that but if if an arts weekly is going to do an article on me and i god bless them if they ever want to um you know (laughs) i'm going to get like you know one column they're going to ask very general questions about it and i'm going to give them the same answers i gave the last arts weekly you know and uh and that sense of like even even on that really small level, that sense of having to perform myself is so ugly feeling for me um, that I'm always like, man, if there was an interview where I just got to like do the digression parts where I'm like, oh, you got if you haven't heard of someone Browning, like that's a fucking like like yes, that's the person you want to talk about, like, you know? I'm like yeah, definitely. For, uh, to then, be a professional um, digressionist would be really nice. 
honestly, it's uh, it would be very helpful for us to remember not to fall into our little tropes as interviewers also. You know, and that's that's kind of one of like one of the things I was asking you about, like with the the guys who are always like, So why poetry? Why yeah. how did you come to you know have I right. have I trotted out any tropes here? I don't think you have. I think uh I if if I do say so, I think we're good at letting you know, getting things rolling and then letting the, the interviewee kind of take it where they want to and not necessarily, you know, we sometimes try to come back to a point we are trying to make earlier, but that's probably just to keep our brains from, you know, from there's all, I mentioned it earlier. There's also this experience where like I'm inviting people to this space and Schaefer's inviting people to this space and rarely do we both know the person sometimes. Mm -hmm. But so he's he's meeting people and I'm meeting people and that keeps it fresh. Yeah, we, yeah, we definitely have different questions for it. But them. I will say I, I I walked into this uh, feeling freshly inspired, and then and now that we're down the path, uh, I, I don't, I'm I'm in I'm enjoying your vibe, Matthias. Whether 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 this is the uh, prepared version of you or the diversionary tangential version of you. Um, I love it. I, I, I love it. Oh, yeah, a, a, a soupy mix of the two. <laughs> oh, a bouillabaisse. <laughs> if, if I may echo uh, Matthew's statement, I actually, I was pretty familiar with the Dream Delivery Service. I'm pretty familiar with your work, generally, and I know you as a person. And I, I also found tonight very inspirational. So thanks very much. So I'm the only one that didn't find this inspiration. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I hope that I hope that whatever um, we, we it seems like we're wrapping up here, but we're not. Um, it I, I hope that whatever trepidation that you brought into this as an interview or whatever bullshit that that was all smashed, and and, no, I, and you've I, been enjoying yourself. I'm enjoying myself. I'm I'm just fucking with you. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. I, all right. All right, so ask me a question. Is there <laughs> is there a, is there a bird where you are over there? Uh, there's a squeaky chair, and there's people upstairs playing okay. guitar. Okay, maybe that's it. <laughs> I heard. It. I thought yeah. I heard it a minute ago. Um. Now I'm wondering if there is a bird. <laughs> there are <laughs> certainly birds in Portland. I've seen really? I've seen a bird. In, in, in that life. regard, there are definitely birds where you are. I'm almost certain of it. Is there any chance you're headed back Austin way? Um, I mean, like, not for a little while. Um, what what are what are your plans? What's going on with you? Well, I have going I'm forward. doing this, and I'm sticking around the Pacific Northwest for a couple months. Um, though I'm not, I, I don't have anything planned for next year until June when I'll be in Vermont. Um, and then I'm going to make my way down the East coast through the rest of the year. And hopefully just cause I really want to bike out to Key West in January. Um, just so I can have gone to the upper Northwest part of the country and then to the, the lower Southeast. Um, okay. wait, you're going to bike from the Pacific Northwest to Key West. No, I, I mean, I'll have to, I'll have to get a car or something. Okay. Like, uh, when I have to like, 
but I'll bike from Vermont all the way down to Key West uh, with stops in between to do the dream thing. Um, yeah, like when I have to get somewhere in bad weather times, I'll ship my bike and fly or rent a car and uh, take everything with me. So I basically have like two boxes of stuff that I ship forward and then whatever fits on my bike in my panniers. And that's pretty much that in a box of of sentimental books and Summer Browning's storage space is pretty much everything I own now. Do you, but yeah, so I'll be in you, Vermont in June and then I think Philly, Richmond, and a couple of stops in between over the fall. Do you ever see yourself like coming to rest somewhere? Uh... I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm 45 and I'm no athlete. So this kind of doing like 10,000 miles of biking a year is really not, uh, sustainable. Um, and I, I, I just mean like, or maybe like establishing a home base. Yeah. I mean, I, I keep thinking that I should be thinking that. <laughs> so no pressure from us. I, uh, I don't know. I feel like as long as this scam plays out, <laughs> I should roll with it and then probably just end up wherever, wherever I end up. I don't know. A purely technical question. What kind of bike do you like to ride? Uh, I've got a surly long haul trucker that people bought for me when my old bike broke in Chicago. Uh, I used to have an 85 Raleigh Kodiak that I, was about three inches too big for me. It was made for someone who's like six four, six five, and uh, but I bought for like a hundred bucks on Craigslist and really loved it. And it was trashed, and I like fallen in the West Texas desert and bent it and had to bend it back out with a two by four. And you know, it was really, and I'm sure it had some hard roads well before I bought it in the thirty years before. Um, but yeah, I was in Chicago and that I, I snapped the, like the frame, <laughs> like a, a sturdy steel touring frame. I snapped, uh, not even wrecking, just by wear. And uh, I think I had like $300 to my name. So I was like, all right, well. And then supporters of the project just bought me this new fancy expensive bike, which was incredibly kind of them. Well, still makes me a little weepy thinking about it. Yeah. Um, but yeah. What about a uh, what about a a memoir? Do you do you ever think about that? Do you think I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna be able to encapsulate these experiences someday? I don't know. I mean, I'm not like a really good writer, so I don't think I could write <laughs> a memoir that would be like. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm good. At, I'm good at what I do. You know, I'm like a solid, like, whatever. I'm a solid B minus, and I'm proud of that. You know, I think it's better than the average person. And I'm, I've studied my craft, you know, and I have dedicated myself to this. And I'm, you know, I'm perfectly fine at what I do, but I'm not, like, a good writer. And so writing a book that's outside of my, like, skill level, you're trying to, I just feel like I would write, like, a, like a mediocre book that's sort of like what I did on my vacation. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I'm not drawn to doing that. If, because I'm fucking broke all the time, if some 
if somehow some some way I was in a position where someone wrote me like a real paycheck to do it, which I mean, from my point of view, it was like someone gave me like three thousand dollars to do it. You know, I could live off of that for so long. You know? uh, I don't know. It, it. I don't take notes. I don't. I try not to keep copies of the dreams. I try to keep no archive. Like I don't write about traveling. I don't write about the stuff, which just feels better to me. It feels funnier to like not. Even though I have like sort of built this sort of whatever. Miranda July style cottage industry or something around it, like to sort of try to use it for more income sources or use it for more for expanding my footprint or some, I don't know, like none of that feels right to me. Like I like it being kind of cryptic. I like it being kind of shitty. I like it being like, you know, like when I, I could use better paper if I had the money for it. I could, you know, have things like sort of designed better. I could do all these things that would make it a more aesthetic thing. It would make it a more uh, lovely thing. Um, but I'm like, I don't know. I do it the cheapest way possible. I do it like kind of trashy. <laughs> like that feels right to me. To sort of not take it seriously even though it's the only thing I do and because of it's like quirk element and it's, you know, it's got this like, whatever, it's the only thing I've ever done that like got any attention on like outside of like poetry world. Um, I don't know. So I don't know. I'll probably write a fucking memoir at some point and I'll probably, it'll be bad and it'll be published and, you know, as, forgotten. As soon, as soon as Matthew can scrape together $3,000, you're gonna write. Yeah. I'm gonna. This hide. actually why why I gathered you guys here today. Because, uh, <laughs> this is more of an investment I'm, opportunity for you two. I've been wanting <laughs> to get into publishing. <laughs> I, I've been looking for the pyramid scheme of publishing. Oh God, it's a real moneymaker. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, with one thing it's guaranteed to get rich from, it's literary publishing. <laughs> uh, right. It, with with maximizing your maximizing your uh, quaffers in mind, uh, would you give us the quick the quick rundown on how to sign up? Oh yeah, there's a website dreamdeliveryservice.com um, that my wonderful friend Elisa Heinzman made the site, um, and gorgeous. <laughs> it's it's funny we're. We were both talking about it. She was like, wow, I'm, such, I'm a much better website designer now than when I made that site. Like, do you think we should update your site? And I was like, no, let's keep it kind of kind of scrappy looking. You know, like, like it sort of it looks, it looks like it's from 2012, which I like about it. I, uh, I, I think it's, it's nice. DreamDeliveryService.com. DreamDeliveryService.com, yes. And you can sign up for, you can subscribe to Dreams there. And whenever I have the next cities and months that I'm going to do it uh, planned out, I update the buttons there and tell people on Twitter and blah, blah, blah. And the, the blah, blah, blahs. I don't know. 
I'm getting this for my wife for a stocking stuffer for sure. Well, thanks. <laughs> I, I, I want to support this. Is this the also, best way? Is this the best way to support your efforts? Could people buy you uh, uh, bike accessories? Uh, I don't know how that would work. I never n- know what I'm needing until I've broken it. Okay. Uh, if you've broken something in your bike, get a hold of us. Thanks. I want to say though, also, if anybody is listening and they can't do, it's it's sixty dollars for a subscription, and forty five dollars for the biking ones when I'm doing them in non-pandemic times in town. Um, but if anybody is going through something and thinks getting weird stuff in the mail would be somehow delightful or supportive and you can't do the money, it's a total sliding scale as well. And, you know, I, at this point, I think I, a third of the ones that I send out, I'm giving away to people. Um, and I, I, that makes me happy. Like I, if, if people are like, I don't know, people have just messaged me and said like, uh, I like what you're doing. I'm so broke right now. Like, you know, my life is shit or whatever. Like, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm definitely going to be sending you like dreams every day. So it's like, you know, it's, I don't know. Like the, the, the idea of connecting with people through this or like being able to like create this sort of thing with people is obviously aesthetically, you know, or just, you know, that's, that's, that's interesting to me. Like making money is not interesting to me. (laughs) That inspires you. Yeah, like I, if I, ideally, if I, I, I would love to have a situation where I could do it all, and they're all given away for free, and I somehow am able to still, you know, feed myself and occasionally buy overpriced fancy beers and do the the, the little luxuries that I, I like, um, you know. But I also don't I I don't want to apply for grants or get you know I don't know. I back myself into a weird corner. But yes, it's like 60 bucks on the website. <laughs> Every time he's... So many descriptions of what you're doing could apply to the podcast. We back ourselves into weird corners here, too. Yeah. I mean, I like weird corners, you know? Yeah, yeah that's, that's where... I, uh, <laughs> I just pointed at uh, my garage. Where he has literally pointed at a corner where he is standing. There was some good uh, physical comedy, which is goes over great in podcasts. Oh, oh <laughs> they love they love our physical comedy. They love it when we're looking at a picture on the internet and just talking about. It. Uh, the uh, our our fans' favorite moments are when we go completely silent because we're both googling something that we forgot. <laughs> <laughs> you should edit out all the talking and just keep those parts and have like a great hits uh, a special. You're in wrap up with just all the silent parts. <laughs> it's the tapping and the clicking. The rhythm. Yeah. Yeah, just like the occasional heavy breath. <laughs> the dancing. Oh, the I, I, I brought the that was that was the the dream song that I picked tonight. Dreams. 
<laughs> little, little fan servicing right there for fans of the beat robot. Matthias, have you listened to this podcast before? No, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, no, that's okay. You, you, you've been by far the best guest that we've had that hasn't listened to the cast. Because, because, because we're all like doing the same thing. Some ridiculous labor of love. <laughs> I, uh, I, I have a hard time listening to podcasts. Yeah, um, I hate them. <laughs> I, uh, the only ones that I listen to are like, there's like nerdy one person history ones where they're like, I'm going to tell the entire history of Rome mm. from oh, my yeah. basement. Those are good. You know, and like it's monotone. Like I have difficulty keeping, not, it's not even like I, I dislike them. Like I'm, I'm perfectly like, okay, that, that's great. But I have a difficulty like attending to listening to people having a conversation. I don't know. Well, Which some, I'm not proud of. Yeah. I, I don't listen to conversational podcasts either, except this one that Schaefer drew me into. And then, then that turned out to just be a primer for he wanted to do, <laughs> he wanted to do a project with me. <laughs> we got it, yeah. I like doing a conversational podcast, but I don't want to yeah. listen to one. Uh, Matthias, have you ever been on Livewire? I don't know what that is. It's a it's a it's a sh uh, show that pops up on NPR. Um, just one of those syndicated shows, but it's recorded in Portland and they love oh, yeah? having poets on. So you should get on there and tell people about the dreams or talk about whatever you want. But, uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> and then, and then Luke Burbank could say, okay, but why poetry? Why poetry? Why poetry, Matthias? Why, why poetry po could be the name of your podcast where you just, <laughs> <laughs> that's definitely the title of this show <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you could ask like like follow-up question to anything like someone could tell like a someone who's not even a poet you know like <laughs> talking about like fixing their fixing old gto cars and be like yeah but why poetry <laughs> <laughs> all right well uh guys I am getting long in the lid, or whatever. Is that how the expression Long goes? in the lid? That's not a turn of phrase. I think it's uh, called, you know, you're getting lumpy lids. That's, the, that's how people say it. Oh. <laughs> you're getting llama lids. And lumps in the lids. I'm getting lumps in my llamas. Matthias? My llamas are getting lumps in their lids. Thank you so much for talking to us, man. I, I really, man, likewise. I, I'm really blown away by the thing you're doing i i i'm going to i want to follow it i want <laughs> to offer you a book deal <laughs> oh matthias email me the uh, email me the address where you're staying and i'll get you some expensive beers in the mail dude okay done um yeah thanks guys man this is really fun i i, I knew it would be and it was so way to live up to my expectations. What if, what if what if you you're in a different place and we get at you again? Like you, you're gonna leave Portland at some point and you're gonna be in Vermont and Key West. Can we talk to you when you're in Key West? Yeah, let's see if I make it there. 
Yeah, um, maybe we'll just check in with you and just see how you're doing yeah. for a few minutes. That would be awesome. Yeah. Yeah, why don't we roll through Texas again? Because I only made it as far as Austin and then uh, was out of money. <laughs> so I still have to roll through the second half of Texas. Well, we can definitely find you a place yeah. to stay in the hill country. And yeah, we can get you sorted out around here. And, uh, yeah, one of these days. A few other places, too. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I basically, like, anytime, like, a university or museum or institution wants to bring me in and pay me, I basically have to put that in my schedule and then build the rest of what I'm doing around that. But, cool. uh... Nobody's popped up saying they want to pay me in 2021, <laughs> so I guess I'm on my own. Well, that's that's all about to change once the once word gets out about episode 47 of One Magical Hour. It's episode 48. 48. <laughs> He's talking about the person who was on the last episode. <laughs> Everything's going to change for them. <laughs> well, since you haven't heard our show, you you've, you haven't heard our outro. Uh, uh, what, what, what's it called, Schaefer? What do we do? The end comment? Sign off? Our sign off, our power out. So here's what I want you to do. I'm going to really put you on the spot right now. You want you me to sing? Journey? What, what'd you say? You want me to sing a journey song? Is that what <laughs> <laughs> like you're, Yes. Like you're <laughs> the you Filipino replacement for <laughs> journey. No, I want you, we rate things on an avocado scale, uh, eight, the, the top being eight avocados, and we're going to do our sign-off, and I want you to just quickly rate it. Give it an avocado rating, eight being the best, one being the least. It's really all about how much guacamole you can make. Okay, so here we go. I'm going to do the first part, and Shaver's going to do the second part. And remember, the poorer the choices, the sweeter the wine. Oh, it's an eight, of course. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> Got an eight. That's so much guacamole. Yeah, you, yeah we're going to eat a lot of fucking guacamole tonight. Uh -huh. Thanks, guys. Thanks to you guys. Thanks for coming. Bye. Thank you so much, man. It's nice meeting you, Matthew. I'll see you again soon. Thank you. Yeah. Take care. Be careful out there. Thanks. All right. See you later.